Casey Cardinia Libraries would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was recorded. We wish to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening. Hello and welcome to Book Matters, a Casey Cardinia Libraries podcast for people who love reading. My name is Janine and I love chatting about books to people who write books or read books. So sit back, tune in and you may just discover your next great read. Here at Book Matters, we are taking a well-earned break over the holiday period. But in the meantime, we've put together some great listening in our best in-conversation events that were held during the year. In this episode, Sue chats with Australian author Barbara Hannay, who is the writer of over 50 novels. They chat about her writing process and her latest novel, The Sister's Gift, which is set on beautiful Magnetic Island and is a deeply emotional family tale about choices and consequences and the redemptive power of love. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to tonight's live in conversation with contemporary romance writer Barbara Hannay. I'm Sue from Casey Cadinia Libraries and tonight Barbara's joining us from her home in far north Queensland. Hello Barbara and welcome. Hello Sue, great to be here, thank you. During these difficult times when lots of us are stuck at home, it's really great that we can still connect online with each other and with our favourite authors. What's it been like for you up there in Queensland because you're not under the same sort of restrictions we are down here in Victoria? We're not we're not in lockdown anymore. No, um, we were for a, for a while back in March, but it's still pretty quiet. Yeah, we're still being fairly cautious. Certainly, those of us who are seniors. <laughs> so I've really appreciated being able to zoom, and I'm zooming with author mates all over the country, and I'm with my grandkids and daughters in Brisbane. So since this book came out, being able to talk to libraries is just fabulous. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was going to mention straight up is that I got a, an advanced copy of your new book, The Sister's Gift, which was great. And so I've already read it, shared it with one of my sisters who's enjoyed it as well. Would you like to tell everybody a bit about it because it is so new? Yeah, I mean, I've got my little copy here, which probably glows a bit in the light. Yes, um, okay, well, as you might be able to tell from the cover and the the title, it's a story about surrogacy between two sisters. And in this case, the surrogacy is actually, actually took place 25 years ago. I have a prologue of the day the baby's born. And on this day, Freya, the main character, or the, the one who's having the baby at least, makes a decision to have the baby on her own rather than sticking to the agreement that she had with her sister Pearl and um, brother-in-law Troy, who are the baby's biological parents, that they could be there for the birth. She knew it was a little bit selfish, but she felt she'd been pretty generous giving up nine months and, 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 you know, her body to produce this baby. And she just wanted this experience on her own before she handed the baby over. Unfortunately, she didn't realise quite how insecure her sister Pearl was or just what the ramifications might be. So the rest of the book is actually set 25 years later by now Billy the baby, who was Belinda when she was born, but changed her name to Billy in her teen years because she, when she was having a bit of a rebellious streak, and she's now a young woman. And Freya is going through a pretty rough time herself now. She's heading for 50. Her marriage is broken down. 
She's lost her job along with her marriage because she was in partnership with her husband who was an electrician. She ran the office while he did the trade. So the job went along with the marriage. And then I threw in an extra bombshell for her that made her lose her home. So she really is in the middle of a life and at rock bottom and needs to start all over again. And this is when Billy reaches out to her to offer her a home and a job working for the family bistro on Magnetic Island up here off Townsville, never realising what sort of a pressure cooker situation she's really sort of maybe lifting the lid on by inviting her aunt back into that there. So that's that's the sort of basic premise of the story. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed the characters. I think I like the fact that they feel like real people I could be friends with or that I could know. And I also like when I read your books or read this one in particular, I thought, how would I react in the same situation? Would I be that generous to a sister? Would I be able to keep a secret? And yeah, I think that's one of the great things about your writing is that those characters are so believable and so interesting what was happening to the people in the book, so contemporary. I have read that your books are described as sparkling, feel-good, emotional romance. And I thought they were great, all the ones I've read recently, great escapism during the winter in Melbourne to be going to Magnetic Island, as you said, the setting setting gives us this beautiful front cover. What made you set it on Magnetic Island? Well, it took a little while to settle on that, actually. When I first had the idea, I just had the idea for a woman in midlife who hit rock bottom and I didn't have the surrogacy set idea at first. And I um, I actually pitched it to my editor at Penguin along with Premise for Meet Me in Venice, which was last year's book. I don't know if mm. readers might know that one. I ended up writing Meet Me at Venice first and this other story just kept percolating. And I thought originally because... Freya lived on the Sunshine Coast that I might just take her up into the hills behind the Sunshine Coast and put her in a shack up there or something like that. And then then the Sarah's Gissy idea arrived and I played around with the idea of taking her to another exotic location overseas, not unlike Venice, to maybe find this surrogate baby who's now a young woman and possibly interfere with her quite happy life. (laughs) Yeah, and then once I realised that it needed to be sisters... And the year before, my son had got married on Magnetic Island, reminding me of just how lovely it is over there. I mean, I knew it because we've had many holidays there, but I realised that not only was it a beautiful location that I would have a lot of fun describing, but it was also small and contained, not unlike a little country town. So the same problems that you might get in a little country town of gossip and and rumours and hard-to-keep secrets would play out in, in an island situation mm. as well. So that once I had all that in my head, I thought, yeah, that's definitely where yeah. I want to set it. Yeah. As I said, it was great to read it from wintry Melbourne and it makes me want to go and visit now. I have to go to Magnetic Island and have a holiday and yeah, be allowed to travel beautiful. again. Yeah. I know. And, I think I described it a bit like a Greek island um, without the temples and, and whatever. Uh, Bit of and license. it had an Australian feel. Well, yeah. I said that's a bit of poetic license or some sort of license because I haven't actually been to a Greek island. So, I, But, it, yeah, oh, it's definitely got an Australian feel. It's got even got koalas. Yeah. Mm. They didn't get into the book, I don't think. No, I don't remember reading about a koala. Oh. You mentioned Meet Me in Venice, which I have read as well and really enjoyed that one. And I thought the sense of place was very strong in, in both those books. Mm. And I wondered what makes you decide 
or how do you decide where to set them? You've obviously always got a base in Australia. The Meet Me in Venice people came from Surface Paradise. The family went on holiday in Venice. Did you pick Venice because you'd been there or could you research it from home? No, I did. I had been to Venice. I went to Venice um, on a long service leave trip um, some time back and it had been quite a long trip. I'd been to UK and all through Europe and Venice and Italy were, were actually the last places that I visited before we flew home again. And even though I loved everything else that I experienced over there, Venice just blew me away. I suppose it's uh, the end of November, so it was winter. There weren't all the summer crowds there. It was the time of the big, they had the big floods, the Aqua Alta, where the, the hotel we were staying in, the canal actually came up into the the dining room and so it was just fascinating on so many levels apart from the architecture and the art and everything else so it stayed with me and when I was looking for a an overseas place that was the one that called to me yeah and you do put a lot of detail in which I really like too in all the books another one I read was The Grazier's Wife and that was Mariba I think was the town that Alice lived in and I was I had to look it up to see is that a real place and I felt like I'd been to the local market and tried the local produce the way you describe being in a place is very good for the reader I find yeah so yeah I think I I, since I've been talking to libraries and I've talked about my very first memories of going to libraries as a as a young child in suburban Brisbane the very first books that I remember taking out were books about twins who lived all over the world. There was the Japanese twins and the uh-huh. um, Dutch twins and the Eskimo twins. And I learned about other countries early on through that. And I think somehow a sense of place, I don't know whether it's from then or, or from probably a whole range of reasons, has always been a really important part of my writing. And so did you always want to be a writer when you were young? Never had ambitions of being a novelist, but I always loved writing and telling stories. Even before I actually knew how to write, I used to make up stories for my sisters and do pictures and they were movies that they had to sit and watch. And uh, I joined the Brownies when I was seven or eight and the first badge I wanted to do was the writer's badge. And I wrote a short story for that, which was about a girl from Brisbane whose family's transferred to the outback. Mm-hmm. Um, many years later, I realised that I was still writing stories okay. about city girls who end up in the outback. The very first book I wrote, uh, Zoe's Muster, is about a, a girl from Brisbane who goes into the outback looking for her biological father after she realises that the man who raised her was not a biological father. So uh, fish out of water sort of situation mm-hmm. I've explored a lot. So the stories have been with you for a long time. Some, some, yeah. And you didn't start off being a writer, obviously. You were a teacher, an English teacher. I was, yeah. And then you yeah. discovered that you wanted to be a, a, a novelist. Yeah, well, all the time that I was still teaching, um, or even before that, when I, I had some years at home with my kids when they were little, I was still writing. I, I used to make up stories for them. They would illustrate them. I've actually still got one here. It's a bit pathetic about a princess in pink. It's uh-huh. about a princess who loved pink, and um, but then she gets tired of pink and she goes through all the different colours. So, you know, the kids drew the pictures. And so she went through blue and there's yellow and green. And eventually she ends up 
with a rainbow. rainbow. <laughs> so obviously I was, um, I had a romantic vibe even then. Yeah, so I used to do things like that with my kids and I had some stories published in Women's, Women's Day and Women's Weekly. But it wasn't until I was teaching a, a unit of popular fiction to my year 11 class and um, we had to look at detective fiction, action adventure and romance. And um, we're actually being very clever and pulling these genres apart, seeing how predictable they were or how stereotype the characters might be. But at the same time, I was thinking to myself, I really like these romance stories. They, they, they reminded me of the books I loved as a girl, like Little Women and um, Anne of Green Gables and, and mm. Daddy Longlegs. They all had a romance in them as well. And, um, and so I decided to have a go in my next lot of school holidays and um, sat around. I thought they're really easy to read. They should be easy to write. <laughs> so is this Mills and Boone you're talking about? Yes, yes. yes. And we all think they'd be easy to write, but is that truth or not? Well, I, they, I, it, no. I, well, I, I wrote one. I had my mm. 50,000 words and I posted it off to London and I thought they were going to fall over themselves with joy when they got this ma amazing masterpiece. But six weeks later, I got a very polite rejection. But by the, and, and really, I hadn't read, I'd hardly read any, you know, I'd made my whole mind up about what they were about from just reading a handful. Mm. So, um, but I had written 50,000 words and I'd, I'd fallen in love with that whole process of writing a novel and I decided I want to keep going at this, you know, I'm going to master it. So um, I read lots and lots of them then over the next few years so that I really understood what it is that readers loved about them. And um, so do they give you a formula to follow, Mills and Boone, or that's, that's not true? That's, <laughs> You know, they got they got their reputation of giving a formula because they did give some guidelines, which mm. publishers never did, about what they wanted. You know, um, they, those have changed a lot over the years as well because um, they adjust their lines and 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 what they they want for readers' tastes. For example, the very first book I wrote that was accepted, I had a ballet dancer as the heroine, and at the time. They said, oh, can you change her to a, um, change her career? Readers don't relate to ballet dancers. Mm -hmm. So I, I did happily make those changes. But that was after I'd had three rejections, I think. It was about four and a half years later by the time I got to this point. Um, and I'd still been teaching, of course, and raising the family. But then 15 years later, ballet dancers, they were more than happy to have. Mm -hmm. so, you know, tastes change. Changed. Publishers change. But no, there's rumours about, oh, there's a kiss on page 16 and this and that. But and if you just do exactly what they've said, you'll get published. But yeah, no, does no. it get easier now that you've written so many? Because you've written about 50 books and been translated into 26 languages or something, won Romance Book of the Year awards. Has it got easier to, to, to no. write a book? No. No, and any of my writer mates would probably tell you the same thing. No, I think we go through the same thing with each book where we get this great idea and we dive in and then you start to panic, oh, am I really going to make it work this time? And yeah. Do you usually know where your book's going to go? Do you have an outline of the plot in your mind? Do you know the end when you start sort of thing? Or? I have, yeah, well, because there's a romance, I know who's going to end, usually, not always, who's going to end up with, with a bloke or whatever. But, no, I, I don't have all the every step of the way worked out. I, I, I think I'd be bored if I knew 
everything that was going to happen. So I like to surprise myself and sometimes the characters surprise me along the way too. For example, in um, The Sister's Gift, there's um, an emergency that happens towards the end of the book where there has another sort of generous act has to take place. Mm. And I didn't know until I got close to that which character was going to step up for that. Mm. Yeah, so. So that's exciting for you too. And there's the very last scene in The Sister's Gift, there's a little thing that happens in that that just happened while I was writing it. So I do like to be a bit organic as along the way. I was going to say they're um oh, they're not just straight romances. They're, there's other stories as well. There's often a secret, a mystery to be solved or first love or, or second chance at love. So it's uh, a lot of other things. And you've got historical elements to the story yeah. when you go back to Singapore for um, the Grazier's Wife, wasn't it? Yeah. Then? yeah. yeah. How did you come up with that idea? And is that different, harder to write when you go back in time and you have the different generations sharing? Um, yeah, I do like to, I, that's what I have loved about writing for um, Penguin, the bigger, the bigger books that I've been doing over the last few years, is being able to explore family relationships and generational relationships. And, yeah, I have written quite a or three or four books with a World War II thread in them. The first one was Moonlight Plains which um, is set here in Townsville. And that's about World War II when, that happened here in Townsville. And it was inspired by, um, in 1995, this week, we've just had the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. In 1995, we had the end, the 50 years at the end of World War II. And here in Townsville, there were massive commemorations Lots and lots of American servicemen came back because we had 100,000 servicemen here during the war. We were bombed three times. A lot of people don't realise that. Mm. It was a very different place. And um, when they came back in 1995, they bought a Navy band that played all the Chattanooga choo-choo and all those wonderful wartime things. There were lots of interviews happening with them. Um, people who'd lived here during the war and I just became fascinated with the whole idea started talking to some of the older people who lived here then yeah but it was quite a long, long time after before I actually wrote Moonlight Plains which is a contemporary story about an old forgotten homestead out near Charters Towers which is about 100 k's west of Townsville where a pl many planes actually out there crashed during the war, but I've got one in particular that crashed on this property. So there's I've woven those two stories mm. together. So it's often set somewhere you've been or you know well, and then you bring in historical research or... Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the historical research, actually. And when you're doing the multi-generational or, or the different time frames in a book do you write them together or separately no I write them together and weave them together I I know some authors write them separately and then mm -hmm. work out how to, to to weave them but um no I I, I just I, I alternate through the through the book but I yeah right. I don't know there's just something about me that can't rush ahead with one storyline because mm. I, I need to know where the best way to, to blend them is going to come and um I'm scared if I just write them and then cut and paste, it mm -hmm. won't have that same smoothness. So do you have a bit of a, a, a writing schedule? Do you make yourself write so many words before breakfast or or is it different for you? you um, yeah, uh, well, not necessarily before breakfast, although that's... No, you don't need to. 
I usually I aim for a thousand words a day. And if I, if they happen before breakfast, then the day is mine and that's wonderful. But sometimes I'm still there at dinner time trying to get those words out. Yeah. I think it's the ones with small children at home perhaps that have to do it before breakfast rather than <laughs> I think we, we interviewed Maya Linnell last year. Ah, yeah. mm-hmm. And um she has a small family at home, so I'm sure she's yeah. trying to write around the kids' homeschooling and things. Yeah. And, and she also writes rural romance, and that's a, a growing genre, I think. Um, mm. Do you find that too, that it's growing in popularity, or has it always been there and I've only just heard about the rural romance? Uh, it's been popular for about a decade, I think. There's a, quite a few books, new books coming out at the moment, yep. so we're lucky. We've got plenty of choice. So you talked about Mills and Boone as, as where you started writing the romance novels and then how did you get that deal have rejections during that process or were you well known with your previous writing so you got the two book deal straight away I was really really lucky they actually wrote to me and asked me was I interested in writing for them which hardly ever happens I was lucky that another author like apparently the editor at Penguin had been sort of talking to this author about possible people that she might approach and that person gave her my name and then she looked up some of my books and decided that she thought I would be a fit but yeah that was like a gift from the gods to Mm. have that. It sounds lucky yes a lot of people talk about all the rejections and the different ways they've had to try and be published. But I think I think the fact that I had already been writing for Mm. 10 years I'd won a few awards and you know that helped. And how do you feel about winning the awards is that exciting or does it is it on the side of really what you're doing you're not doing it for awards? no I'm not doing it for awards no it has been exciting and it is nice but no the the real reward for me is when I hear from readers you know when they Mm -hmm. write to me and tell me or or contact me via Facebook or something and Mm -hmm. tell me how much they've enjoyed a book particularly Mm -hmm. sometimes readers who are going through tough times and it really has been an escape for them that Mm -hmm. that's wonderful and I have heard a couple of those this week, so I'm very grateful for them that they have bothered to let me know. You know about it. That's really good. You just showed those pretty covers of some of the other books. Do you get some input into the covers of your books or is that all organised by the publisher? They send me what they think's a good cover and I'm allowed to say no, but usually I'm pretty happy with what they come up with you know I think that they've put a lot of thought into it before they send it so I haven't really I haven't had a problem with any of them so far I don't know if I'm easy to please but I think they they do a beautiful job mm, very attractive all the covers I've seen what about the characters names where do they come from is that oh, have a list of people you want to fit <laughs> into your book somewhere and that's funny I was just talking to my husband about that this afternoon because I've just renamed a character in the book that I'm writing because he's He's not very pleasant mm. and um, he had a name that was quite, I think it's quite nice. So I said oh, I've had to scrap that name and give, I've given him a name that, well, I don't know anyone with that name, so that it's helps. the safest way to do it, isn't it, yeah. <laughs> if they're uh, not very nice? Sometimes it can be quite hard to find the right name. You know, sometimes I go through, I can be third of a way th- through a book or more and um it's just not working, the name that I've given a character, and so I try again. But I have had lists at different times. In more recent years, I don't mind if I use one again, mm. So as long as it's, you know, a totally different feel and character. Do some of the characters go between books? Have you got some yeah. of them? Yeah, the Grazier's Wife, for example, the one that you've read. Alice and Seth, is it? 
Yes. Um, yes. In that book, they have a small role in the next book, The Country Wedding. Then the book that follows on from that, which is The Summer of Secrets, some of the characters that were in The Country Wedding reappear in this. Just, you know, often if there's a character that's a main character in the first book, there'll be a secondary character in, in, in another book. Zoe's Muster, there were three books actually about that Fairburn family that's in Zoe's Muster. So they can be read as standalone books. But oh, they, absolutely. Yeah. Thread through them, and that's great for people who find they like it. They could there's so many other books to read of yours that you can keep going for quite a while, and and slightly different ones from the titles you've said and the ones I have read. I feel that there are different flavours to them. Meet Me in Venice was not much about the land in Australia, it wasn't no. set on the yeah in the outback, more the travel to Venice and the the family dynamic. Now, hopefully, the people watching us and listening to us are adding questions to the Facebook page so that. I can answer or ask you some other questions from them. One of my questions that I had here was, what do you like to read? At the moment, I'm reading Sandy Docker's um, Banksia Bay Beach Hub. She's an Aussie author. Oh, yes. Story set on the um, coast of New South Wales. For my book club, I'm reading Gentlemen in Moscow. Oh, I've heard of that. I haven't read it, but I've heard it's very good. It is very good. Not a recent one, is it? No, it's not a recent one. It's a slow read. So, um, and because I've been so busy, I haven't wanted, it's one of those books you need to have plenty of time, just just sit back and relax and read. So I I haven't got, halfway through I had to put it aside, but I, I, I was really enjoying it. One of the things I like to read to help me with my characters sometimes are, self-help type books. I read one earlier this year that's helping me with the book I'm writing at the moment called Lost Connections. It's about depression and how sometimes depression can be as much about lost connections between people, not enough connections, rather than a need for medication. And um, yeah, I'm actually writing about a group of people like that at the, well, they're not depressed, but that need to con- to connect more with with is that the, a little bit like Freya and Pearl though before you you wrote that before you'd even read this book yeah. it sounds like but they're a they're a fractured family absolutely yeah Freya and sisters I noticed yeah. you dedicated the sisters gift to your sisters with yeah. are they anything like the characters in the book or no really that's, different why, relationship? that's why I described them <laughs> as being my beautiful talented and loving sisters which they are but I wanted readers to realize that Not they, weren't, life. they weren't necessarily like the character they know they, they're nothing like the characters mm-hmm. in the book but yeah I realized that with the the two sisters in that story I've probably slanted things very much in Freya's favor as far as who the reader might feel for and Pearl's almost a bit of an antagonist but I hope later in the story when they get to communicate that um Mm, I still felt sympathetic to Pearl, but we do hear a lot more of Freya's yeah. thinking and her motivations. But I did enjoy writing a conversation later on in the book where they really got to take Shut some step, steps towards healing. Yeah. We've got a question come through from Michelle saying, I was excited to, to discover your books. They are stories that I love. I read that one of your books has been optioned for a movie. Has that progressed yet? Yeah, that's Molly Cooper's Dream Date which is also set on Magnetic Island. I don't think with COVID that it probably will get off the ground mm, after all. Not at the moment. Maybe I later, think, though. Oh, I don't know. There'll be so many movies backed up waiting to, to, to get out the gate once 
once the restrictions are lifted, I'd be I'd be surprised actually. But yeah, that was was very exciting, absolutely exciting. Mm -hmm. Set on Magnetic Island, and it's it's about a girl who swaps houses with a guy in um in London. She had an English father, and she's always had this sort of fantasy about going to England. Um, she grew up with her grandmother, her father had. Her parents had died when she was young and she had this sort of fantasy about meeting a perfect English gentleman and all that sort of thing. So she ends up swapping houses with a guy who's burnt out by the, the global financial crisis and he was a banker in London. And um, so he's got a really swanky, swanky house in, in inner London and she's got this little hut on the island. They're very happy to swap though and they communicate through um, emails and that's how they become really interested in each other. And I, which is not what it was a Mills and Boone, and you wouldn't expect a Mills and Boone to be like that. But yeah, and, and it was sort of inspired when I was a kid. I loved Daddy Longlegs. I don't know if you knew that story about the girl from the, the, at university who writes to her guardian, who's who's putting her through university. I don't know that one. No, it's a whole series of letters that she writes. So. Um, I love that whole idea of telling a story through letters. Or, and know. nowadays it's through emails. Yeah. yeah. And then when they wrote the script for the movie, they turned it into um, text messages, text messages. on their phone. <laughs> and, of course, they switched, they switched the setting from um, uh, Magnetic Island to Connecticut because oh. it's a Canadian film country and I guess they didn't have a huge budget. And so it's now it's in a snowy Christmas setting but the, the feel of the characters and the flavour of the story is still the same. Well if they're going to film it all over there then perhaps they will be able to do that. Flying to Australia might have been out of the budget. But... Let's hope so. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope so. There's another comment from Janine. I've listened to a lot of your books on audiobook. Do you get to choose the narrator on the audio version? I do I do get sent some audition tapes. Yeah. So I get a say in, in who the narrator is. I certainly, I've, I don't know if I did in the first few, but I certainly have in the last couple of... You get to choose out of a selection of voices or... Yeah, I, well, this, for this sister's gift, I was sent three actors reading the prologue. I actually went for a, a different one first, but the, all the people at Penguin liked another one. And then when I listened again, I realised so many things to a reader. This, The first one I liked was brilliant at the dialogue. But then the narration was a bit flat. So quite a skill, isn't it? Sarah to do it well. Hmm. Sarah Kennedy that they chose. We we we, we agreed on. Um, I think she's done a good. Not not that I've listened to the whole book or anything. Mm. But it's a great it's a great way to experience a book. I think I like listening to the e audio books as well. To, and I, and sometimes it's the only way you can get them nowadays. I guess they can't get physical copy. You can do it by ebook or e audio and. They, they do a great job, the people reading it. It can really add a lot to the book. Uh, Laura has asked, if you reach a 1,000 words in one day, do you stop? Or if you're on a roll, will you keep going? Yeah, I will. I would keep going, yeah. If I hit 1,500, that's a really, bum, you know, bonanza day. Because I, I am a slow writer and I, um, I'd i love to be able to write a first draft in one rush. I know some people who do, you know, they just go for it until they get to the end and then they start editing. But I'm a, um, an author who fiddles and fixes all the way along as I go. So I might spend half the day fixing what I wrote the day before, before I push on with the next, next bit. So Does that mean there's less work at the end? Less editing yes. required? Yeah. So you've yeah. done it as you go along. Mm -hmm. And do you share it with 
somebody else or do you have a first reader, someone who... I do. I'm really lucky that my husband's also a writer. He was a, he was a journalist and he's, he's actually just published his own um, memoir recently about his days as a journalist and a newspaper editor. And he's been my cheer squad right from the start. I probably would never have persisted if he hadn't read my first manuscripts and said, you really can do this, you can, you know. So now every couple of weeks I print out my manuscript of where I'm up to and he reads it. We talk it over and we brainstorm sometimes together. Usually, most fair bit of the time, I knock his ideas on the head and he's really <laughs> good at it. He's, really, he's learned not to sulk about that. But um, just being able to talk to him about it, it's really it's great, isn't it? And he's not far away, so you can ask him easily. Absolutely. He knows what the writing experience is like. Yeah, and because he's so familiar with my work now, like one of his mates said, Elliot's so well read. He's read everything Barbara's ever written. <laughs> but but he has, you know, and he's, he, he knows the feedback I've had from editors, so he knows what I'm trying to achieve. So mm. that's really... It's a great asset, yeah. yes. I know, I'm very, very lucky. Another question or comment, Vicky has said, I hear a lot of authors love the research so much that they find it hard to leave it to do the actual writing. Is this the case for you or are you happy to dive into the story? Yeah, I think that's an interesting, thank you, Vicky, that's an interesting question. I think because I did have that background in Mills and Boone, I'm really conscious of the importance of story. And I've been conscious also of never wanting to bore the reader. So I'm really careful, I try anyhow to be careful not to dump any more research into my story than I need to tell. But, yeah, no, story comes first for me. And what about if you're enjoying the research so much? Uh, just want yeah. to keep, <laughs> keep reading the book. No, no, I that is you a just do what you need to. Yeah. Um, Michelle has asked, do your family read your book? Well, one daughter definitely does always. The other daughter is very busy and she eventually gets around to reading them. My sons, no. I think one of my sons, and he actually really is, is a writer himself, although he probably won't ever write a novel. He, um, I think he read the first one and got to some sexy bits and just went, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read that if mum's written it. Yeah. So no, the boys are happy to just say, well done, mum. <laughs> Um, but my mum still reads my books. Well, that's fantastic. Um, that's really good. Have you got any advice for people who want to be a writer? Yeah, I think I think it is important to write the sort of stories that you love to read, and not what not just what you think might be selling well out there or that you hear publishers are looking for. You know, I think you really do have to be able to really enjoy the story you're telling. And when once you settle on uh, on the kind of story you want to write, like I had to, you you should read as many stories in that genre as you can, so that you do understand as much as you can about what makes it work. I realise if you're writing literary fiction, that that might not apply, but I'm I'm talking about commercial fiction. Mm -hmm. Give it a go, and and don't you know you'll probably think it's hopeless, but push on and keep going. Yeah. Like that. Did you do any writing courses or anything? Do you think what I did do is I joined Romance Writers of Australia. That made a difference. And I um, entered some competitions that they ran, like which I found really helpful. So that that was really good. Yeah, I think getting some feedback is is important when you when you're first learning. Another question is when your books are sold in different countries, do you have to change words so that they will understand what you were saying? 
I mean, our Australian slang that people overseas won't understand. You had no, to I, haven't, I haven't been asked to do that, no. I had, have occasionally seen um, cattle, the um, cattlemen change to ranchers in America in the title and things like that, okay. but no. Not many of my um, penguin books have been in um, other English-speaking countries overseas, except as e-books or, or um, large print. I, if I actually had to work with, say, an American editor, they may... Oh, no, I am writing for Chule, which is an American e-publisher. I've got two books in the Wirralong Brides, and they haven't asked me to change my Australian idioms. Good. Mm. Courtney's asking... Would you ever write a book about a fictional place? Well, yeah, I sort of do. Burrily, the little town that I had on the Atherton Tablelands, was a fictionalised version of Yungabara. I had, I wanted to change it so that no one came along and said there's no solicitor's office there or, or cafe there or whatever. And I'm actually writing about um, an apartment block in Brisbane at the moment that's entirely fictional. But that'll be interesting because the way you write, as I said, some of the ones I've read... I've researched, is this a real place? And it has been. <laughs> but you're saying that in future there might be things in the books that are well, not. Obviously, Brisbane, I still have to have it as a, a real place. So Barrelly is probably the closest I've come to a, a little fictional town. But it's still based on a real town. Things change to suit me. And you are writing something at the moment that far off, like will that be next year published? Yeah, that'll be next year. Yeah. And was it really different releasing The Sister's Gift in the middle of this pandemic? Has that been a whole different experience? Publishing? Well, yes. This whole opportunity of talking to um, librarians in states, I mean, the distance from Townsville to um, Melbourne is the same as the distance from London to Moscow. <laughs> so to be talking to you like this is a, it's a whole new experience for me. Yeah, because yeah, normally I would just travel around the libraries probably in my, even in North Queensland, yeah. sometimes in SEQ, but not much further away. So we're all um, from it really from, in that way. We've been able to have you here without the travel. Well, I think that might be the end of our questions. So thank you very much, Barbara, for joining us tonight. If people are interested in reading some of your wonderful books that we've mentioned, they can get them from the library catalogue, basic in your libraries, and that will direct them to the physical books and also the e-versions. They can also find you online, can't they, Barbara? Yes, I'm on Facebook. I do do a bit of Twittering and Instagram, but I'm mainly Facebook. And I have a website, barbarahanna.com. Okay, and have a look at that as well. All right, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know I did. It was great to get to know you, Barbara, and hear all about your, your writing. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks yeah. for your questions. All thank the best. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. For more details on the books mentioned in this podcast, as well as information from the library, head to www.cclc.vic.gov.au or visit our new Facebook group, In a Nook with a Book, where you can let us know what you've been reading. Until next time, this has been Janine and you've been listening to Book Matters, a CCLC podcast for people who like to read, made by people who love reading. Goodbye.